Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, you've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. What this has shown us is what's really essential to your life. And figure that out. Figure out what is essential and what feeds you. And do it with all of your passion and all of your curiosity. And do it with love. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Here we are. It's May already, and it's almost two months of social distancing and quarantine. I feel like every time we do a podcast, uh, we've entered a different phase of this whole thing. Yeah, it's kind of like um, it has not stopped changing daily but also um everything is the same every day (laughs) it's so weird how both of those realities exist (laughs) yeah it's it's true it's true it's like you're trying to assess every day this uh what is this and oh here we are (laughs) again yeah still (laughs) it's like groundhog day yeah (laughs) um also you cut your hair I did. Uh, I couldn't take. I just. Um, I just couldn't take anymore, and and there there was no end in sight. Like nothing. 
is open. I can't tell when anything was going to be open. And um, it's too short to tie back. And it's too long not to really bug me. And also, the, <laughs> yeah, and the the ticks are really bad. It's, it's May is just tick season here. And um, it's been a long, wet, cold spring. And the ticks love that apparently. And so it, it's been really bad. And I just, you know, I just stood in front of the mirror the other night and I just did it. <laughs> Good for you. It's brave. It was brave. It was brave. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, mom. But you, Do you know think what? it looks it, okay? Um, it looks it looks okay. Um, it, it's not great, but it's not awful either. It's really not. You know, uh, I used to cut hair when I was in college. People would come to my room and pay me a dollar to cut their hair. So I have some experience. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. A dollar? A dollar. Yeah. That's what I charged. How many dollars did you have at the end of the day? <laughs> well, it wasn't something I did all day. It was just like, you know, someone, <laughs> you know, people would say, well, you cut my hair and they would come by the room and I'd get out a chair and put newspaper down. That's so funny. A dollar. <laughs> Could you buy beer well, with a dollar? I don't remember how much beer was, but I'm, I'm sure you could. <laughs> I I actually don't remember how much it was. It was probably 50 cents or something. But I, I got so kind funny. of a reputation on the campus. People people need to come <laughs> ask me. Well, that's but awesome. That's so I funny. Have, I Maybe you told me that and I forgot, but I don't remember that. <laughs> also, I definitely don't remember the dollar part. Well, the, the technique has been pretty much the same. I mean, the techniques, you know, stuck with me and I just used it on myself although it's sort of tricky like getting to the back and stuff. yeah it is hard yeah but I just yeah well I've seen you on zoom and I saw a picture on Instagram and it looks good to me so thank you it'll it'll do anyways (laughs) we just talked about hair for a long time um let's talk a little bit about our the episode for today that we are really excited about this was a quick one because we wanted it to coincide with May's um, book club selection, which is Dawn Again by Donaga Markigard. Um, we highly recommend, obviously, as a read. We're reading it now, and um, anyone in our in our Lady Farmer book club is reading it now, and we'll all be gathering together on Zoom at the end of the month to discuss. Um, so, yeah, Mom, do you want to introduce Donaga? A little bit? Yes. Um, so Dawn, again, is a really an amazing memoir of a young girl who spent her high school years in a wilderness school learning survival skills and wildlife tracking and food foraging and all those cool things. And I think one of the things that's so relevant about this um, is that as we make our way through all of the layers of this this quarantine and the pandemic and we start to lean more into a lifestyle that's more connected to our natural rhythms and the seasonal cycles and more home centric. And we 
thinking more about real food and slowing down to a pace where we can feel, you know, more correct, connected to our surroundings. Uh, I think the idea of wilderness is really compelling and attractive. And a lot of people, you know, even the word wilderness sort of is exciting. Yeah. And as we begin to adopt more of a slow lifestyle, we it's much more obvious that we are a part of nature and we want to reconnect and that's why so many of us want to garden and take walks outside as much as we can and bake the bread and do the things that are really kind of hands-on and really connected. Yeah. Yeah. And this might come at any point in our lives, but Donica was only 13 years old when she was in a serious accident that nearly took her life. But ultimately, it opened her up to the longing for that connection to the natural world. And it's it's such a great story of how her training in the wilderness translated into what she's doing today in regenerative farming. Yeah, so she's just an incredible human and farmer and writer, and she's very inspirational. And we were very lucky to meet her. Was that... I feel like I'm going crazy. Was that last fall or two falls ago, Mom? That oh, we I, I feel like it was. I feel like it was May because it was cold. Uh, we, we, we oh, like last May, 2019. No, I think it was 2018. We were at Polytaste Farm oh at the. They 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 had some yeah. sort of event, and we went, and it was freezing. And um, do you remember that? Yeah. But it was so – it was just so magical just spending time with yeah. her and that group of people that were there. And we got to take a tour of Polly Face Farm and share a meal and listen to her tell some stories out of her book. It was raining and cold, but we had the most fantastic meal there at Polly Face Farm yeah. um, in Virginia. And hearing her tell her story was just so – just filled us up so much. And then we And then we read the book. We got the book and read it after that. Right. And we're just – feel so lucky to be connected to her and when we were thinking about books to pick for our book club mom it actually came to you and you were like this is it and it definitely is it's a perfect first book for our book club and we're so excited to share it with you and share Donna go with you and we had a wonderful conversation with her oh and it's worth noting too that she actually just came out with another book it's actually a young adult version of Dawn again it's called Wolf Girl and so as you go out and you grab Dawn again or you go on bookshop.com um, via our link in our Instagram profile um, and you're reading Dawn again, think about maybe some young women or men or whoever, younger people in your life who might resonate with the story um, and grab Wolf Girl too. I think it, I have not read it yet, but it should be really beautiful as well. Yes, and we certainly have a treat for you today as um, Donica tells her stories in our wonderful conversation we had with her as she spoke to us from their family ranch outside of San Francisco. So um, let's turn it over. We hope you enjoy. Yeah, so my name's Donica Markegaard, and uh, I'm out here in the coastal San Francisco Bay Area. And presently, uh, my family and I, we are regenerative ranchers. 
and we steward over 10,000 acres of coastal grasslands uh, through mimicking nature to produce food for thousands of local families. And we do this through regenerative agriculture, holistic management, and really the key factor in all of this is observing nature. Because if we don't observe nature and how she functions and how the ecosystem processes work, then the whole system will, will collapse as we, as we have seen with industrial agriculture. When you divorce yourself from your source, then things can go wrong really rapidly. And um, as we're seeing right now in the COVID-19 crisis. So uh, it's been a long journey uh, to be a family-operated ranch uh, in very close to Silicon Valley. And uh, we've, we've learned so much along the way. And uh, both my husband and I, we really uh, value that connection to the earth and life and all the species. And we have so much reverence for our um, co-creators, which are the grass plants and the cattle and the soils and everything that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis, the billions of, of life forms that are out there and our relationship with them is how we are able to produce food that's nutrient dense and able to be resilient in the time of crisis. I really love your explanation of regenerative agriculture. We, we talk to a lot of um, practitioners and ask them, you know, how, how did, how do they explain it? What is their definition of the term? And yours is unique in that you, um, you, sight being an observer of nature is the the primary factor and that goes back to uh your adolescence in the beginning of your book and which opens up with this life-altering experience and um can you tell us a little bit about that yeah yeah so i was raised in a rural area in western washington uh and uh, my two sisters and i uh, we grew up uh, in the in the 80s and 90s when screen time wasn't a thing. <laughs> so uh, we were playing out in the garden. We had some horses and we would adventure to the river and do what so many kids don't do right now. Uh, we really had a childhood where we felt so much freedom and we had trails uh, through the neighborhood where we would play with the neighbors and we, we knew our place. We knew uh, the, the special trees uh, that we would ride our bikes to and uh, we would pretend that the leaves were were money as, as kids and we would have our, our, our little uh, ice cream shops and and uh, so we really were, were kids that 
appreciated being outside more than indoors, which is so rare right now. And so when I fell off my horse in my teenage years and I got knocked unconscious and I had this out-of-body experience where I was hovering over my body and experiencing an alternate reality and feeling like I was touching touching spirit, touching something that I had maybe heard about or uh, but never experienced, never experienced that this power and being humbled by this greater life force that's connecting all of us and that really is a feeling and a sense of being that you don't accomplish by just sort of going with the education system and going and getting a career and sort of doing what you're told. So I had experienced this when I was uh, unconscious and I had a near-death experience. And then it really contradicted what I was learning in public school. And I wasn't having my curiosities peaked. So I ran away from home uh, to seek culture and to seek knowledge and to figure out what, what is going on in the world. And I saw so many of the things that we're seeing collapsing right now, uh, the industrial food system, uh, fossil fuels, the waste of our uh, culture, the food waste and the pollution and so many of the things that uh, were really harming the, the life that I was exposed to as a youth of being out and exploring the woods and being able to ride my horse on endless trails. Uh, I was seeing the massive clear cutting and the monocrops of soy and pesticides and all of these things. It was just, it, it just made me angry. And as a teenager, um, I had so many, uh, so many emotions and just trying to figure out where I was going in life. And so I, I write about this in my book and then how I came to find a school where I was able to be mentored through some of this anger and anxiety and feelings that were coming up as I was exploring the world. I love how you just casually threw in there. I mean, I guess you've told the story many times and written about it, but you're like, so then I ran away from home. <laughs> um, and I think it's just, that's a like really fascinating and amazing story. Uh, it's like something out of a movie. Um, and what I think is interesting is kind of the order of the way that things happen. It's like you ran away or you left home and then you, that's when you found this world that really kind of disturbed you because your childhood was something that um, nourished you and you were happy in. And then was it, was it school that you felt like wasn't challenging you? And you might've said this already, but can you kind of just go back to the, 
like right before you ran away from home? And then like, why did you, why did you feel like you needed to leave home? I was seeking something when I left home that I didn't, I didn't see that I could get just uh, at public school and with the current mentors that, that I had available to me. And being that rebellious teenager, uh, I took up the opportunity to go traveling with my sister and her friend because I loved hearing their stories of the road and being free and jumping in rivers and exploring and traveling. And I think that's something that that adventure, that living on the edge of doing new things and uh, doing something for the first time. There's that, there's that fear and there's that excitement and it's, it's what we all thrive on. And if, if the, our youth aren't able to have those type of edge experiences, then they get dull and uh, complacent and forget about why they're here and what life is all about. I was, I was seeking more for myself. It's really evident that you had this real internal wisdom and this real connection with your kind of internal knowing and sense of self um, kind of all along as a child and then, you know, making the choice to go explore a world um, with your sister and her friend. Do you think how much of that had to do with your um, accident? Um, well, I think the accident opened up that there was something more to life. There was something more than uh, what I was experiencing. So the accident gave me um, this sort of North Star of there's a spiritual force out there and I can connect with that and I can experience this euphoria but how do I do that and what is life all about did that vision that vision you had that out of body experience did that like stay with you or or were you did you embrace that or was it scary um, it wasn't scary. It wasn't scary at all. It, it was uh, something that often I thought about during the day and uh, remembered when I was experiencing this different reality. Um, so no, it was more inviting and welcoming than anything. Yeah, that's a, uh, you know, that's, it's a rare experience and, you know, for, you know, for such a young person, um, a gift really, as you, as you, as, you know, write about and it opened up your whole life to this, this seeking. So I wonder if, um, and this is just all like, you know, conjecture, but if you hadn't had the accident, were you already showing signs of a restless teenager before that? Definitely. I was okay. definitely, and, and I see um, myself and my kids that they're beginning to 
uh, find their own identity and rebel and just for the sake of rebelling. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, yeah, I put my mom through that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I want to circle back around to what I was saying earlier about um, you started out talking about regenerative agriculture uh, being an observation of nature. So the next part of your story is you found this wilderness school and which became uh, a training in the observation of nature um, mm. over, over a period of years. So I think it's just really beautiful how you, you tell the story of attaining those skills and all your adventures. And then you, you bring those skills out of the wilderness and you bring it to, to people in a way that they literally, literally can consume. So it's, it's really a, um, and really neat story in the way it, it all loops together like that. Um, so in the book, you tell all about your, your, uh, years in the wilderness school. And there's so many wonderful stories of your encounters with animals and your, your tracking adventures. Um, what, What's one you like to share the most? Which is the one you like to talk about the most? Yeah, well, since we're talking about uh, food and regenerative agriculture, uh, I love to talk about what I learned from from the wolves. And uh, so the book that um, you all just recently read, Dawn Again, is uh, my original memoir and I just recently came out with a, a young adult version of, of that book called Wolf Girl. So um, it's just fitting that uh, I tell a story about what I learned from the wolves. And even in, uh, in, in Wolf Girl, I have uh, sections that have little, little lessons and tidbits or action items that uh, the readers can uh, can do and can learn from, uh, because so many people, they, they see themselves in my story and my, my story is not unique. Uh, my, one of my visions with, uh, sharing my story was that readers could see themselves in the pages and they would also be inspired to, tell their own stories and to create more stories. So as a kid, you have this mystic perception of, of wolves, you know, reading books and uh, just the relationship with, uh, with dogs. And so I had the opportunity to spend seven summers tracking wolves, uh, first in Alaska and then in Idaho. And I actually traveled other places as well to, tra uh, to track wolves. So the, the first wolves that were returning into Germany from Poland. And so throughout my life, it's interesting because I, I tend to be in those places where wolves are just recently coming back in uh, through uh, expanding their territories or through um, reintroduction. And it was just so interesting because I went to the Netherlands last fall. And one of the first things I realized as I arrived there was that the wolves were so successful in Germany that 
right before I got there, they, the first wolves had come into the Netherlands <laughs> and, uh, the same thing happened, um, in, let's see, in 2004. So over 15 years prior, I had gone to Germany to track the first wolves that had come into Germany from Poland. So I feel like my, my journey is sort of earmarked by, wolves coming in and uh you know maybe upsetting the balance a little bit in our human culture but intending to keep the balance and the story that i'd like to share is how i really first internalized the importance of this keystone species that these pack dynamics of a group of predators that are traveling together and uh, have so many, uh, so many complex social cues of communication and uh, how they care for each other and how they train their young and how they protect their territory uh, and how they move through the landscape causing a ripple that regenerates life. And that's so important for us that, you know, we've become so sedentary in our lives. And wolves, they're always moving. They spend up to 50% of their lives traveling and moving. I mean, imagine how healthy we would be if we sort of took back that movement and uh, we were moving 50% of the time, either um, working in a garden or taking walks or um, gathering food or hunting or fishing or uh, working with our livestock. So they're constantly moving, but that movement is very intentional. And that movement in the predators then moves the prey. And the prey then moves the plants. And then the plants move the soil. But it all has to start with some sort of movement. <laughs> and yeah. so when I was uh, in, uh, in my training as a wildlife tracker, and I was studying in Idaho in the Frank Church Wilderness of No Return, which is the largest expanse of wilderness in the lower 48. Um, I, I had this experience where I went moving. So I participated in this life of movement by getting setting out on a trail at sunrise on a fresh track of an alpha wolf. I just was equipped with a water bottle and a radio strapped to my hip, a little pocket notebook and a, a pocket knife. And I headed out on this trail and I was trotting along, matching my movement with the movement of this alpha wolf and really internalizing the cadence and internalizing uh, the movements and I would pause when the wolf would pause and look and try to figure out what it was looking at. Um, I would 
pick up on the the set marks that the wolf left behind and uh, where how it was communicating with with other other life forms other predators uh, other species other packs and uh, I was was so um, immersed in the trail of this wolf and it was I was able to pretty easily follow it because there's a lot of uh, sheep herding in Idaho. So the sheep make these dirt trails through the landscape as um, the herders are moving them from one meadow to the next meadow across the range. And so these, uh, the, this wolf, uh, I, got, I got so close at one point that I felt raindrops falling on me and I got to a, and then right after this brief rain, the wolf tracks were landing on top of the raindrops. So I was right on that trail. And as I came down and approached this open expanse of meadow, I paused on the edge so that I wouldn't just sort of come out into the open and and scare whatever might be uh, might be there going about their baseline activities. And I saw out of the corner of my eye that wolf skirt into the shadows, and uh, I was in that heightened awareness that uh, that experience you get when you do something for the first time and you're on edge. So it was again that experience that I had felt when I left home and jumped in a cold river or, you know, explored things for the first time. And so I was just sort of floating almost is is how I can describe it. And I went to soak my feet in a cold stream and uh, it was as if the, the wolves were then communicating with me because then so all surrounding me was howling they just erupted in howling and I heard wolf pups and wolves across the valley communicating with each other and and then I heard a raven call and uh, wolves and ravens, they, they travel together for obvious reasons, and they have had this long relationship with each other. And so uh, the raven, when I followed the call of the raven, I went to an area where the, there was this oxbowing creek, and there was a bull elk partially submerged in the water uh completely opened up the kill was fresh and i could see the reflection of the clouds in the water as the blood was coming out Mm -hmm. from this carcass and i just got weak and and i felt this i just felt so close to both life and death and that this predator prey relationship of these animals that had come into this 
lush meadow with so much life and wildflowers and just green all around that that had just been grazed by the herd of elk and they came through and moved those elk by hunting them and the wolves would stay in that meadow um, and the elk would move on and that's when I just felt so close to to both life and death and I because as I was tracking that wolf, I felt like I had become the wolf. And I felt at that point that wolves, they just, they just know, they just, they, they don't have to go through adolescence and try to figure out their path in life. They just know <laughs> what their original instructions are. They know what they're here for. They know how to uh, intuitively take care of each other. And they know how to intuitively move the herds of elk and cull the weak or the sick and uh, keep the balance. And sometimes that means death and so to bring more life but it's only death that regenerates that brings more life than the life that is taken so um that's the lesson that i've i've really learned and i've internalized and i've taken uh with me throughout uh the rest of my life and and to the work that i'm doing right now uh, with instead of uh, working with elk, working with cattle and uh, moving them across the landscape so that their movement and their disturbance uh, adds vigor to the grasslands and regenerates life. That is so incredible. I just, we could do a whole series of podcasts, I think, on you just telling the stories <laughs> <laughs> of the wilderness tracking. Um, I do, I have a couple of questions specifically about the, the wildlife tracking. When you say, when, when you first started the story, you said, I started out in the morning with, there were fresh tracks. Do you, I mean, I know you go to school and you learn all of these things, but when you woke up that morning, you, you didn't know, or did you know where those tracks would be? Or did you like have a sense, like, how do you, how do you like know where you're going to start? Or do you kind of go off and you're like looking for a place to start? We had set up a base camp uh, in order to uh, document the movement of the wolf pack and, and uh, to help with the data and the research of the reintroduction effort uh, in Idaho. And so we were trying to figure out uh, where the wolves would be the next day based on the track and sign that we had seen the, the current day. And so we were doing, looking at maps and sort of predicting where they might be. But no, it was a complete surprise as we went out on our scout mission at first light to look for the fresh trail uh, of the wolf. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'd go on that scout mission and not see anything. And sometimes we would, we would find the fresh track like we did that day. So it must um, be so thrilling. When you yeah, find, find that track. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And then my other question is: Do you um, 
do you teach your kids this stuff? Like, is this, are they like, okay, mom, like, I don't want to hear about tracking. I don't know. You know how parents <laughs> are when they have a, have a passion and sometimes it can translate and sometimes it doesn't, but I imagine it'd be really fun with kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. My kids, the kids get into it. Of course they have to sort of discover it themselves. And uh, mm-hmm. also I found that as a parent, um, my my role is is better suited to to match them up with mentors than to actually um, be their their mentor and exposing them to these uh, these new ideas and these thoughts and these you know curiosities. So, like right now, my son is spending um, time um, now that we're we're all homeschooling. Uh, he's his his science class is going out with uh, these. Uh, frog and snake researchers on one of the ranches that we lease and, and going out and um, collecting data on all the snakes that they, they see and find in their traps and cover boards. And he just, he just comes alive with curiosity. And, you know, it's these um, guys in their twenties that are really into snakes and, I could never pique that sort of curiosity from my son that, uh, you know, these, yeah. these, these young men that he looks up to uh, and that are doing something really cool. So I, I think it's more with my kids to, to, you know, to provide for them, to give them all of the tools they, they need to thrive, but then not expect that I'm going to, be the one that imparts that that inspiration. Yeah, that seems very wise. <laughs> yeah, a um, c- couple of things about that. Well, I want to I want to ask you something about the trekking first. But did you learn food foraging? So would you would you take your food with you, or did you learn how to find stuff along the way? I know you were out there for days sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely both. I mean, part of my wilderness training was uh, wilderness survival. So learning what I could eat, uh, learning what would what would nourish me. So we did a lot of wild foraging. And uh, oftentimes, uh, we would stay out for long periods of time. And we might bring a few staple items, but we'd go out and we'd collect cattail shoots and roast them over a fire we would go and um, uh, harvest fresh uh, greens and stinging nettle, and we would find things to nourish us along the trail. Did you learn about a lot about mushrooms? I imagine there are a lot of mushrooms in the forest. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I had an interesting experience with mushrooms um, when when I was probably about 17, 18, and I was really into the wild foraging and trying to figure out how much of my diet I could get from foraging. I, I think I overdid it on mushrooms. And uh, so I was collecting chanterelles and I made this huge stir fry of chanterelles and, and I think it was cattails and other wild foods. And, uh, you know, I, I was very careful because I was warned that, you know, Foraging mushrooms can be very, very dangerous and tricky, and even the best of uh, mushroom foragers can mistake the lookalike species sometimes. Uh, 
So I was very careful, but I think I just over overdid it and I became allergic to all wild mushrooms wow. <laughs> for for probably about almost 15 years oh, no. and it was just oh. recently that I could eat mushrooms again. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh so I really I I was really into it and then I had that experience where I I got some sort of um I like too, I, I ate too much or I had, and, and then I became allergic to them. Um, and, and then it, then it went away. <laughs> so, Oh my goodness. Um, wow. That just yeah. goes to show you, you know, just the power of, of these foods, <laughs> these living yeah. foods, they are powerful and we need Absolutely. to respect them and, and learn about them. And, um, yeah. So I want to bring it back around to what you're doing now with your, your business on your family ranch, which is Mark, Market Guard Family Grass-Fed. And you provide um, grass-fed meats to the San Francisco Bay Area, as you were telling us. And I want to I touch on something. Um, you know, there's as, as you well know, you live it every day. There's so much misinformation out there about um, how consuming meat is bad for the environment. And it's a subject that really um, creates just a lot of polarization um, with people. You have to be on either one side or another. You agree or you disagree. But really, when you look at it, people really want the same thing. They want they want to eat healthful food. They want to protect the environment. And so we're really all on the same side. But this issue is so... Um, such a lightning rod and I was going to ask is can you talk a little more about that so that we can kind of learn to come together on these things and to find real issues instead of just disagreeing about it yeah yeah absolutely and uh oh yeah this pandemic is is really shedding light on the vulnerabilities of uh the prominent way that this country produces meat. And uh, we're also seeing this huge surge of interest. Uh, it's so overwhelming. I mean, I, you know, I and can't you mean keep to your up. farm specifically for Marky Guard? You guys are... Oh my gosh, yeah. we, we have never had this much interest in our product oh, in, in the 15 years that we have been in business. You know, I'm people, so happy yeah, yeah. I mean, people want to join CSAs. They want to buy bulk. They're buying freezers. They want to have a relationship with their farmer. They want to know where their food's coming from. They, they want to secure their protein and, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's overwhelming and I'm not alone in that, uh, grass fed ranchers across the country are just, scrambling to keep up with, uh, with the demand, uh, a demand that, um, our, uh, sector of business has never before experienced this level of demand. Uh, and so right now it's, it's an opportunity to say, okay, we, we can do this. We can take these animals out of these awful feedlots and these confinement houses and 
the workers which are suffering uh, similar conditions of factory farming uh, and they're you know they're not even able to survive going to work i mean it's it's just sick the death toll of the workers um in these industrial meat plants and so and and that's not happening with regenerative agriculture however it's decentralized and uh it's you 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 can only produce as much meat as nature can sustain. So there's all kinds of checks and balances within the regenerative agriculture system that um, if you focus on profit alone, then the system becomes less and less and less resilient. So I think what I'm getting at here is that um, uh, it's going to take that basic observation of life and life and death and the the lessons that we learn directly from the wolves and the lessons we learn from plants uh, transferring energy from the sun through photosynthesis through the root systems and into the soil to draw down carbon. I mean, Nature has infinite examples of resiliency and mutual mutual uh, benefits uh, and reciprocity. So that's where we need to uh, transition our education focus. It's where we need to transition our agriculture is bringing back that observational knowledge of place and of nature. And that's where we are going to find the solutions and the way out of this pandemic, which, as you said, I agree, this is, uh, this is just the start of a cycle. And it's an opportunity for us to say what we've been doing has not been working. And you think that uh, we would have figured that out with the Dust Bowl and yeah. uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, nope. Nobody ever talks about the dust bowl. I mean, we've done this before, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And so it's like you know, we we didn't learn it then. This the um, the world got slammed. Yeah. Um. And and we just kept doing business as usual. Um. So so it's an opportunity now to uh to change and. Not everybody's gonna gonna realize that. The majority of people aren't gonna realize that. They're gonna go back to doing business as usual and just big build uh, bigger feedlots. And but there more and more people are gonna wake up as as we're seeing. And what our ranch, our focus now is, um, you know, we we can't supply the interest that we're receiving right now. Um, and we're prioritizing on those existing uh, customers who have been with us, some of them for 15 years. And then we're trying to capture all of those people that are just newly coming to grass-fed and regenerative ag and saying, okay, let's, let's capture those names, let's capture those emails and keep them interested. Even if we can't uh, completely supply them right now, 
let's keep them engaged and and uh, keep them learning. And when we can have events out here on the ranch, uh, bring them out so they can experience firsthand. Because that's that's what people really need. It's those experiences, like when I met um, when I met you all uh, out at Polyface Farm, and yeah. you know you really have to go out there and you have to to experience it. You have to wake up early and uh, take part in the chores with uh, uh, the crew and witness the the massive amounts of life in the pastures and the species diversity in the pastures at the same time producing so much food. I mean, I was just blown away at how much food was being produced um, in that amount of, of space without compromising the other forms of life, but adding to the other forms of life. So it's those types of experiences. And, um, you know, unfortunately, people that are just becoming aware of this and in my in my new young adult book, I talk about ways to start eating like a regenitarian. <laughs> so, oh, I uh, that. yeah, yeah. So how to uh, enhance your regenerative life. And it's, you know, put your roots in the ground, start planting a garden, pick up some chicks, um, get to know a farmer. It's like, that's everything that's happening right now. Yes. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I was amazed. It's like, okay, I wrote this book, but it took, it took a pandemic for people to mm-hmm. say, Oh, I need to start growing my own food. I need to start raising my own chickens. I need to have a relationship with a farmer. You know, it, it, it took, you know, how many deaths did it take for people to wake up? And um, unfortunately, we aren't able to bring those people out right now because now would be the time to bring them out mm-hmm. and show them when they're open and they're, you know, this is, they're, they're in that place of, wow, this is my first time experiencing this, this pandemic and not being sure of my food security. Um, you know, we need to do, maybe we should do some sort of virtual tour of regenerative uh, ranches since everything is, is virtual now of, you know, let's, let's go visit yeah. Polyface. Let's go visit, yeah. you know, these places that are, are really, uh, really feeding people and are resilient to um, the, the changes that we're going to see more and more of. Yeah. And, and, and I think um, now that the, you know, for the last, you know, several decades, it's, we've been so focused on what kind of diet you, you know, you eat this or that or the other thing, and they range all, all kinds of things. But now I, I wonder if the conversation is going to be shifting more to like um, your, your, actually your food supply and, and um, not so much like you're going to eat all of this one thing, but where are you going to get your food? And how, Mm -hmm. and how balanced is it? And, um, and I'd love to see the conversation go from, um, uh, you know, meat is bad for the environment. Well, yeah, uh, factory processed and produced meat is bad for the environment in people. And it's just bad. And, and yes, everyone should stop 
feeding that and um, supporting that industry. But there's this whole other universe out there called regenerative farming that is is more of the whole story that actually helps the environment. It helps climate change. That's what I want to spread around and say, yeah, guys, you know, you're only telling half the story. Um, you're only, you know, you've only got the veil half half pulled off. Um, let's look at the whole thing now. Let's mm-hmm. let's have a holistic view of our food. And that um, phrase, regenitarian, I heard that recently and I thought, that is it. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> new, that's that is that just says it all. That absolutely says it all for me. Like that just said, yeah. And people go, what's that? And then that gives you an opportunity to explain all these things, which is just so important <laughs> right now, you know. For you personally, like your life, I know that things have picked up with the business, of course, and it's you're really busy and it sounds like you're just kind of deeper into what you've been. But how, how has the the pandemic impacted you personally and and what has this experience been like for you Um and kind of how do you think it is it is it changing you or will it change you or do you think it's just kind of like everyone's all of a sudden catching up with you um no i i'm looking at this also as an opportunity to change and uh you know you guys mentioned before uh, we started this podcast that uh you were sort of relieved at you know sometimes these events get canceled and yeah, at first I was disappointed because, you know, with the book launch, I had all of these great, great things lined up and I was going to be traveling and uh, seeing family and friends and uh, working with Patagonia and uh, all these things that just poof, went away like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of emotions come along with that is that you, you think your your plans are going in one way and the momentum is building and then that just can all be gone in an instant. And um, but what the opportunity it gave me was, you know, I have been really running myself ragged and I do need to figure out a different way of, of being and a different way of relating. And, oh, it's, I feel so fortunate to be in this quarantine with the ones that I love and to have my family here and to be able to take long walks with them and to be able to do the things that, you know, if, if I was off traveling that I would, I would have missed those times. And, uh, mm-hmm. so it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm really just seeing like, wow, life is so amazing. Life is so good and precious. And we can focus on those things that are really important to us. And, um, you know, I keep being reminded of, uh, I spent a lot of time with my, with my grandmother, uh, when I was when I was a young kid, because my mom was working and my you know I didn't have a dad; he had passed away. And uh, you know, I I find myself um, really realizing why my grandmother would say certain things that she would say, and I find myself doing the same thing with my kids, like do not waste a single bite of anything. Cause you know, my mother, my grandmother lived through the depression and, you know, <laughs> hard, hard work and perseverance and those values of no waste. 
they really came through. And I'm like, wow, that, that made her who she was and how she related to, to life and resources and what she imparted uh, to me. And so it's an opportunity to say, wow, those, those values that are instilled during the time of a depressed economy and realizing that your food security isn't the packages on the grocery store shelves. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, for me, it is an opportunity to, to change and to really uh, reinvent the way I am with my family, the way I am with the world and, uh, and, not be so not be so busy all the time not yeah. be so stressed mm-hmm. out all the time slow slow down a little bit yeah. and <laughs> and and appreciate appreciate what you have and just say oh my gosh this life is amazing you know these the bird song in the morning and the wildflowers and wow it's incredible and uh to really appreciate that that sunset without feeling like, oh, I got to get this done and I got to accomplish this and that. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a huge opportunity for change. I just hope that I can um, meet the challenge. Yes, I feel the same way. What is it that you want people to most understand about the work that you do? So the work that we do now with providing food, uh, I've, I've realized during this pandemic, uh, what it means to be essential. It's like we're, we're figuring out, okay, what is essential for, for life to continue, uh, for people to have quality of life and to have health. And it brings a huge responsibility being one of those businesses that's deemed essential and allowed to operate. And, you know, what I'm realizing, and this is just something that has come to me recently, is that, you know, so many times we get caught up in the in the busy work of running a business and raising a family and going from place to place. And I think that what I'd really like people to learn from the work that we do is how is that fulfilling you and your actions that you take and your your purpose and what you're working towards your career how is that really fulfilling your your life and those um experiences that you might have uh of creativity is that really feeding that creativity and is that opening you up to connection to a greater life force. So how are we going to move forward in relationship and in relationship with not only our family and with our loved ones, but relationship with the earth? And before this pandemic, uh, you know, the, the biggest things that we were predicting were uh, big climate disasters, flood, fire, extreme weather events um, because of human-induced climate change. 
And this one just kind of surprised all of us. And uh, I, I think was something that we weren't expecting. What this has shown us is what's really essential to your life and figure that out, figure out what is essential and what feeds you and do it with all of your passion and all of your curiosity and do it with love. I love that so much. That's perfect. (laughs) You know, it's like all the themes we, you know, try to keep going in this whole discussion. And, and, and what is really exciting to me is that this, the pandemic is just, bringing all this to surface before, before that it was just almost kind of fringy stuff or yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't, you know, you got to work and, and now it's real. It's absolutely real. What is essential? Um, yeah. Um, it's something we, yeah, this reality just totally flopped on its head when before, if you would have said that, it's like, yeah, but reality Exactly. now it's like that reality, we don't have to deal with just a different reality. Yeah, it's it's really so cool. I know all this. I know there's a lot of suffering and and sick people and anxiety and all this all those things that we hear about every day. But there's another side of it that's really really a gift. And um, thank you for articulating that so beautifully, Donica. And uh, thank you for spending time with us today. And I can't wait to come to the ranch. Oh my gosh! When you're <laughs> yeah. <talking about. laughs> All right. Well, okay. um, thank you all and have a, have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Talk Thanks. soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. And we also hope if you are listening to this at any point in the month of May, uh, that you can jump on and join us on Zoom for our next virtual Lady Farmer book club on May 28th at 7.30 p.m., Eastern Standard Time. We will be discussing Donegan. Not required that you have read the whole thing, of course, or even have it or read it at all, um, but highly recommend. And we'll be discussing it, and we might even be able to glean some understanding of our own relationship to the natural world around us. Um, support local independent bookstores when you can. Um, we have it linked to our blog and on our Instagram. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with another wonderful podcast episode. We've just so loved sharing this with you. Uh, If you don't already follow us, uh, join us at WeAreLadyFarmer on Instagram or LadyFarmer.com. And the podcast has its own email, thegooddirtpodcast at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear from you. As usual, it's great fun to get on here and um, talk to people and share it with our audience and Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope that if you're enjoying the Good Dirt podcast, that you'll feel free to go in and leave us a review so that other people will find us. Yes, and I also think that if you've listened all the way to this point and you are considering or have already cut your own hair, you need to send us a DM on Instagram (laughs) because we're just all in this together. And and my mother, the professional barber, will <laughs> critique it and send you oh. a dollar. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> oh I can't wait to see some of your pictures. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>
Like yeah, challenge. we'll re- we'll repost that. We need to th- we need to think of a hashtag. Uh, hashtag quarantine quarantine, quarantine cuts. cuts. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Okay, folks. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you for sticking with us, and we will see you in a couple weeks or even sooner at the Lady from Her Book Club, May twenty eighth. Goodbye.